This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. This week, um, well, I just want to mention a few things from this week, and I think it'll, it'll help us uh, with what we're talking about today, kind of help us put it in context and in perspective. Some of the headlines, and I'm not, I'm not reading them verbatim, just, just how I remember them, but some of the headlines from this week, six teens drown in the Red River. Um, another headline from Connecticut, man shoots and kills eight co-workers. Woman, this one again here locally, a woman hires a man to uh, kill her husband. A little over a week ago. <clears throat> and then again this week, a judge in California overturns law banning same-sex, quote, marriage, unquote. I say quote because that's not truly marriage, <laughs> regardless of what federal judge says. <clears throat> These are just some of the examples of the evil in our society. And boy, many, many, many more things could be mentioned, couldn't they? In fact, um, about the only thing I hear in the news is they, they usually, when I go on break at work, they usually have it on. I, I don't really watch the news, and, I'm, and I heard about all of this, uh, of course, uh, through people talking as well. And sometimes, uh, I don't know, sometimes we, we think of the good old days and, and forget that uh, uh, this has always really been the case, that is, that evil has existed in this world. And I say always, I mean since Adam and Eve. Since, since Eve and Adam uh, partook of the forbidden fruit. From that point on, we live in what we often term a Genesis 3 world because that account is recorded for us in Genesis 3. We live in a fallen world. Sin abounds. And as I said, sometimes we try to sugarcoat it a little bit and talk about the good old days. I know um, we don't uh, watch like television shows. One thing we do, here I'm going to make confession uh, before you this morning. One thing we do, uh, because now you can watch shows on the Internet, we watch uh, Leave It to Beaver. And... Uh, that's a classic example of what I think most people have in mind. I mean, whether or not you like the show, you may or may not like the show. Um, uh, but what, regardless of that, that's that's pretty much I think a classic of mine, of a classic example of what we as Americans have in mind as the good old days, back you know when there was morality. Think about this for a moment. That, that show began uh, in the 1950s, somewhere in the late 50s, and ended somewhere in the early to mid-60s. That's, that's the time period that they were re recording it and that it covered. Suppose you were a black person in, a, in America in the 1950s. Then I wonder... If you would reflect on that era or an era like that as the good old days. That kind of helps add perspective to it, doesn't it? Um, so a lot of times, my point is just simply this, a lot of times when we think of the good old days, they weren't really as good as we wanted them to believe. Some, some people would uh, maybe go so far as to say we were kind of in the good old days until the last election. Well, again, let's try to put that in perspective for a moment. We've, we've been, as a society, I mean, our country, murdering the unborn since 1973. So, if you put yourself in the position of 
an unborn baby, um, maybe it wasn't really the good old days after all. There's been evil in the world since Adam and Eve. And also since that time, there's been this question that Habakkuk raises, how can a good, holy, just God permit evil to be? That is, permit it to exist. We, we talked primarily about that last week, but I want to remind us of it because that's really what this whole book is about. That's, that's where Habakkuk is coming from. He looks around him and he sees trouble. Trouble. Job said man's days are few and full of trouble. Trouble. And that's what Habakkuk sees too. Job and Habakkuk and uh, other uh, Biblical authors had a more realistic view than we sometimes do. And so Habakkuk is crying out to God, Why is this so? Why do you permit this? That's his first uh, complaint, um, his first question, beginning in about verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. What he's basically complaining or saying is that God is not doing anything. And and Habakkuk here is focusing on, as I just did, the evil in his own culture, his own society. He's talking about in the nation of Israel. They have forsaken the right way. They've left God. They've forgotten the covenant. And this on the heels of a great... Revival under King Josiah. But now wickedness abounds. The wicked are in control. Verse 4, the result is, Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. And we just talked about that last Sunday, and then we saw an example of it this week when this ruling came down from this federal judge in California. Perverse judgment proceeds. And the law is powerless because of the perversity of men. And as we saw in the following verses, the Lord answers. Not not probably just exactly the answer Habakkuk wanted to hear. He doesn't say, okay, Habakkuk... Let me lay this out for you and explain why there's evil in the world and why I permit it to be. No, instead, he kind of raises it up a notch. Not only is there evil in the world, not only am I permitting it to be at this point, but I also use it to fulfill certain purposes. So the Lord says... In his response to Habakkuk in verse 5, Look, among the nations. And remember, Habakkuk's complaint was about his own people and the evil there. And God says in return, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. In other words, this is not at all what you would think. uh, or, Or not the way you would think that I would do things. For indeed, I am, verse 6, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. And he goes on to describe the wickedness of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, how they are ruthless. And yet, the Lord says, I am raising them up to bring judgment on Israel. Now, this... this, this I'm sure, probably doesn't exactly satisfy Habakkuk's question. As a matter of fact, he, he has to adjust it and expand on it a little bit. Because now the question is not just, Lord, why do you permit evil to be? But now the question, as we're going to see, shifts to, Lord, why would you use the wicked to bring judgment on those who are less wicked? 
Why would you permit evil to be? And the Lord says, well, I'm, I'm, I am bringing judgment, but I'm going to use a pagan nation to bring judgment on Israel. And so then Habakkuk is really uh, perplexed by that. And in verses uh, 12 uh, through 17, he responds with his adjusted question. Why would you do this? Why would you bring judgment um, upon your people by a nation less righteous than they? What I really want us to focus in on this morning, though, is how Habakkuk begins that second question to God, how, how he addresses God when he offers the question. And I'm going to do a little altering myself. I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, edit a little bit my, uh, my title here um, and I'm going to title it this, uh, Comfort in the Character of God. Now, God rules. We're going to see that in a moment. And certainly, that's going to be central to what we're talking about here. But I, I think it's noteworthy that in the midst of all this evil, in the midst of all this trouble, and with God's answer, because, because Habakkuk is probably, when he asks the question, why do you permit evil? Uh, why do I cry violence and you don't save? Why do you not hear me? Just meaning that you're not doing anything. Uh, no doubt Habakkuk is wanting to hear from the Lord uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm going, to, I'm going to fix things just the way you want. I'm going to set it up, straighten it out, just like you want. That's what Habakkuk wants to hear, but what he gets is, yes, there's evil in the society now, and guess what? More is coming in the form of judgment because I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans and they're going to destroy the land. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of all the trouble, and in the midst of the answer that he really didn't want, probably from the Lord, nevertheless, he responds with total trust in God. I mean, he's headed that direction. Maybe I shouldn't say total trust at this point, uh, but there is certainly evidence here, no doubt, that Habakkuk trusts God. He's got confidence in God and who God is, what God is about, to the point that he can literally take comfort in the character of God. So here's, here's how he addresses God, and, and uh, we're going to point out three things here that Habakkuk points out, uh, the, the eternality of God, the sovereignty of God, and the holiness of God. Verse 12, here's Habakkuk's response to God's response. Are you not from everlasting? Immediately, he, as, when he addresses God, he, he, uh, he focuses in on the eternality of God. Now, this to me is, is so like God's answer to Job, except it's just turned around. It's not coming from God, it's coming from God's man here. But when Job questioned the Lord, this is how God answered in, uh, in Job 38. And I'll just read you a little bit of it here. It really lasts about three chapters, and I, I won't read you that, but uh, uh, certainly recommend it. In Job 38, Job responds, uh, I'm sorry, the Lord responds to Job and says this. Uh, who is, Job 38.2, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, prepare yourself like a man. I will ask you and you shall answer me. Instead of you know, me answering you, I'm, I'm going to ask you some questions and you'll answer me, God says. Verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? 
When I made the clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it, and set bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth? And the wicked be shaken out of it? Well, that's, that's just a sampling. Like I say, you read on 38, 39, 40. God is asking Job these questions. Where, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Do you make the deer's calf in, in the wilderness? Do you provide food for wild animals? He, he, he asked various questions pointing out that He is eternal. And we are just a, 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 a blip on the radar, basically. This is what Habakkuk is recognizing. Are you not from everlasting? At least, though Habakkuk is complaining, he understands essentially his place. I'm just a man. You're God. I've used this uh, a lot, this example, but um, it, it, it always astounds me. There, there's, there's, a, there's a supposed conflict today that really doesn't exist. Um, but if, if you watch, uh, oh, I don't know, if you watch the news, I guess, and, and read a lot of read the newspapers and that kind of thing, a lot of times you'll you'll see uh, talk about this supposed conflict between faith and science. And uh, I would reword that a little bit and say, yes, there, there is a conflict between uh, biblical faith and uh, false science. There, there's certainly a conflict there. Um, but there's, there's no conflict between biblical faith, or you could say theology or, you know, faith, and true science. Uh, theology and science are both concerned about what is. They're concerned with reality. Uh, God and, and His creation is the way we would say it on the on the biblical faith side. Uh, we recognize God created all things, but we're hopefully I mean, our, our concern is with truth and true science. Uh, in fact, the word science means knowledge, and that's what true science is about. It's about uh, the study of what is truth. Unfortunately, in our day. Again, not, not new, but, uh, but it's certainly prevalent in our day, maybe more than uh, times past. In our day, a lot of falsehood gets mixed in with it, and it's called science. So here's the example I, I use a lot. We were out in Arizona uh, a few years ago and visited the, the Painted Desert and, and uh, uh, the uh, Petrified Forest. Uh, just beautiful scenery. I mean, they call it the Painted Desert, you know, because of the color. You, you look on the horizon, and it's it's uh, it's incredible. Uh, in fact, it 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 abounds with evidence of a creator. <laughs> you have to literally be blind to it, or just reject it to to not recognize that. But uh, we, so we go to the the petrified forest, and there's I don't know, maybe I guess thousands of petrified logs laying in the middle of the desert. And uh, they're just everywhere. And there's a museum there, so we go in, and you know how you, you can go in these museums and you watch a little film and they tell you the, the story behind it. The very first thing, the, the film comes on, and the very first thing the uh, narrator says on the, on the film is, 33 million years ago, this was a lush rainforest. <laughs> and I'm looking around... And I don't see anybody that looks 33 million years old on the staff. And I'm wondering where they found the man or the woman, the 33-year-old man or woman, that told them uh, that that was a rainforest 33 million years ago. Now, let me say this real quick. Side note, I, I, don't, I, I don't have a problem with them saying something like, 
From the evidence we have before us, from what we see, we think that this was probably a rainforest, you know, a long time ago. <laughs> I do have a problem with the dating, but, uh, but they, you know, they said, we think this was probably a rainforest at some point, and, and that's where all these petrified logs came from. Now, I'd still disagree with them, but at least that would be an honest way of stating it. But what they do is state their conclusions as fact. Here's the way it was 33 million years ago. There's no, we suppose, there's no maybe, there's nothing like that. It's, it's just 33 million years ago, this was a lush rainforest. That's the way they present it in those types of films. That's the way they present it uh, in the, uh, the public media, television, radio. That's the way they present it in our children's school books, uh, in public school. Um, it's just, there's just a lot of false science out there. And yes, there is a conflict between biblical faith, biblical doctrine, and false science. Now, all that just to say this. God is the only everlasting one. And He's the only one that was around 33 million years ago. And you may ask me, why do you believe that the account of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 is accurate. Because it is the testimony of one who was there. That's why I believe it. And he was the only one on the scene. And that's his point in speaking to Job. Where were you, Job? I don't know how old Job was when he was going through all that and God was addressing him. Maybe he was... 40. I mean, he had grown children when his trouble started. Maybe he was 40. Maybe he was 50. Maybe he was 200. But God's point, and our point here, is that uh, he wasn't on the scene when all things were created. God is the only everlasting one. He is he was, He always was, and He always will be. He always was, He is, and He always will be. And He's the only one that that can be said about. He is the self-existent God. Now, let me say one more thing about that before we move off of this point. <coughs> Every effect has a call. That's why when I look at the Painted Desert or the Petrified Forest or the Grand Canyon or whatever, this pulpit, um, I know that it didn't just come out of nothing. It didn't, it, didn't just, it didn't just all of a sudden appear one day. Every effect has a cause. Now, the, the I guess the most prevalent... Uh, view of, again, quote, science in our day concerning the origin of all things is the Big Bang theory. And, you know, just, just prior to that, you have some kind of cosmic suit that all of a sudden exploded and, and somehow generated life and all things developed out of that. Uh, let me say this. Even they admit that that's as far back as their theory goes. I want to know where that cosmic suit came from. Every effect has a cause. Something had to cause that Big Bang, if it were really true. And Of course, I don't believe it is, but if it were, something had to cause it. And if that cosmic suit that exploded really existed, it, it, it had to be caused by something. It had to come from somewhere. Something does not come out of nothing. In fact, we could take that further. Order does not come out of chaos. And that is exactly, again, uh, the teaching that is widely accepted today. Out of chaos came all of this order that we now know in the universe. Out of non-intelligence came intelligence. Out of non-personality came 
billions of people with personality. It just doesn't hold water. Every effect has a cause. But in God's case, Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting? God is not an effect. He's not the result of anything. Every effect has a cause, but God is not an effect. He is the cause of all things. He is the one only, one and only self-existent being. And that's what Habakkuk is recognizing here. And listen, this is all important. It may not sound like it, but this is all important when you get down to day in and day out issues. What you believe about God, what you know about God, in fact, whether or not you do know God, has a direct impact on how you deal with circumstances in your everyday life. How you deal with violence, with trouble, with strife and contention, injustice. When you pick up a newspaper or or turn on the news and read about a tragedy... Your view of God has direct implications on how you react to those things. So Habakkuk doesn't understand it all, and we're not going to either. But he knows this. God God is big. Really, really big. Really big. He's from everlasting. He's the only self-existing one. And then he touches on God's sovereignty. In fact, just the way he addresses Him. O Lord... My God, and the, the word Lord there is God's covenant name. It's the name Yah or Yahweh. It's the name that He gave to Moses when Moses said, Lord, who do I tell them sent me? You know, the Lord told Moses, you go and you tell Pharaoh, um, let my people go. And incidentally, I know it was from a different time period, uh, but I heard that Zachary made a great Pharaoh yesterday. Uh, I wish I had seen that. <laughs> Should have had you wear the hat this morning when you read. I, I didn't think about it, but <laughs> they had a great time in Bible school yesterday. But the Lord said to Moses, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, look, who do, who do I tell the people of Israel and Pharaoh? Who, who do I tell them sent me? And the Lord said, you tell them I am that I am. I am that I am. Again, emphasizing His eternality. You tell them, I am that I am sent you. That's, that's the name that's here. Yah, Yahweh. Oh Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, my God. And notice, notice the, uh, the pronouns there. It's personal. There's, there's knowledge here. Habakkuk has relationship. And that, again, is is crucial to trusting God. He can trust what God does because he knows God. He's got a history with him. It's my God, my Holy One. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? I mean, in light of what he was just told. Verse 6, the Lord says, For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and a hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth. And he goes on to describe how how ruthless they are. Verse 7, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from from themselves. The uh, New International Version says they are a law unto themselves. In other words, they make up the rules. That's that's where we we are going as a culture. I mean, we're moving in that direction. Uh, We're we're throwing out uh, all standards and making up our own as a society. Their, their judgment and their dignity proceeds from themselves. And then he talks about how swift <coughs> their horses are and how, again, how ruthless they are in battle. Verse 9, they all come for violence. He's talking about the Babylonians. The Babylonians are going to come upon Israel. 
And they're coming for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at, king, they scoff at kings and princes uh, are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold and they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. So the idea is that these fortresses uh, are easily overtaken by them. They just heap up dirt against the walls and then they just go over like a flood and destroy everything in their path. And in light of all that, all of the evil that's going on in society, the judgment that, that the Lord has just now re- revealed to Habakkuk, saying your land's going to be destroyed, you're going to be overtaken by, by foreigners, Habakkuk says, we shall not die. We shall not die. How can he say something like that? Is, is he arguing with God? Is, is he rebuking Him, saying, No, Lord, like, like Peter did to Jesus, these things can't be. I don't really think so. I, I think really what we have here is just an expression of his trust. He's saying, Even though all these things will be, Lord, You will preserve Your people. It's become obvious at this point that not only is is God not going to remove the trouble, but more trouble is coming for the Israelites. But in the midst of that, Habakkuk knows that God will preserve His people. You're from everlasting. You're great God. You're my God. You're my Holy One. We shall not die. O Lord, You have appointed them... For judgment. So he understands now God is appointing the Chaldeans to bring judgment upon Israel. It's an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. God, you are Lord. You rule. All things are in your control. But nevertheless, you will be faithful to preserve your people. We shall not die. Now, let me just point out a couple of things here concerning the sovereignty of God that will do one of two things. If, if we don't trust God, then this doctrine becomes very disturbing. The idea that God is, control of all, is in control of all things becomes very disturbing. But if we trust God... Like Habakkuk, we, we, we understand something about his righteousness and his faithfulness and his goodness and his mercy. Then the idea that God is in control of all things becomes a great comfort, especially in troubled times. Psalm 115.3, great passage. <laughs> But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. God is sovereign. And He does whatever He pleases. It's not hypothetical. It it doesn't say, our God is in heaven, in the heavens, and if He wanted to, He could do. He's so powerful, He could do whatever He pleases not hypothetical. It's a, it's a bold, absolute statement. He does whatever He pleases because He rules. Ephesians 1.11, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now, when you, when you pick up a paper and you read of a, of a massacre or, or when you read of uh, a tragedy, um, people dying suddenly, unexpectedly, or you read of an earthquake, or you read of a tsunami, can, can, you, can you go to a passage like this and take it for just what it says and say, Yes, Lord, you're in control. You work all things according to the counsel of your will. 
You are from everlasting. You are Lord. God, You rule. And I don't understand how it all plays out, but I know that You're in control. The Westminster Confession states it well um, concerning the eternal decree of God, God's sovereignty. God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will. Isn't that good? I mean, you, you, the word counsel, you know, don't you, don't you picture like, a, like a, uh, uh, a conference table discussion or whatever, and you, you know, you're counseling with each other. That's, that's sort of what the picture But it says, um, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will. That is, He, he, had, he took counsel with Himself. <laughs> God from all eternity, again, recognizing His eternality, the, writer of, the writers of the Confession wrote, God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Now, that, that word, whatsoever, He ordained whatsoever comes to pass, that's... That's pretty strong, isn't it? That's absolute. But I would say it's no stronger than what I just read you in Ephesians 1.11. The Holy Spirit Himself recorded concerning Himself. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now, Daniel said this concerning the, the nations, which, of course, is specifically what Habakkuk is uh, is experiencing here is, is uh, uh, you know, one nation taking another and so forth. Daniel says this in Daniel 4.35, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Well, that'll build your self-esteem, won't it? <laughs> you are reputed as nothing compared to God. Brothers and sisters, I'll tell you something. We ha- apart from God, we have no value. We have value because we are His creation. We have no inherent worth. We do have worth. We do have value. I don't want you to misunderstand me here. We do have worth and value, but it's because we're created in the image of God. You, you know, one reason, I, I, and I really believe this, one reason a man or a woman can walk into a workplace and just annihilate a dozen or so people in cold blood is because they don't believe they have any worth. And that has been confirmed to them in our public school system. You emerge from a slime pit, you're no better than a cockroach. And all they're doing is living out what they've been taught. You're not the product of a benevolent Creator. You're the product of chance. And putting your light out is no different than stepping on a spider or a roach. Now, they've been taught that all the way up through school. And then we wonder how they can pick up a gun and blow somebody's brains out and not think twice about it. I read the 911 call of this uh, caller in uh, Connecticut after he had shot eight people and killed them. Just cold. In fact, he said, he told the police, uh, the 911 operator, he said, I regret that I didn't get more of them. Anyway, Daniel says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, He does, that is, God does, according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Did you hear that? God does according to His will in heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Daniel goes on to say, No one can can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? God is sovereign. 
Habakkuk recognizes that. You are from everlasting, O Lord, Yah, Yahweh, Lord, my God, my Holy One. And there's the third attribute. The eternality of God, the sovereignty of God, and the holiness of God. God is holy. God is holy. Now, the word means uh, separated or uh, one often used definition, my favorite, is, is other than. God is other than. He's, he's separated. He's apart from us. He's pure. Listen, Habakkuk's talking about all the unrighteousness in the land and all of the perverse judgment. But he knows it's not in God. You are my Holy One. Everything on earth, it looks like, is going south. Just an expression. I love the south, you know, here in America. But but that's just an expression. Everything on earth is going downhill. It's declining. It's amazing, isn't it, that we're shocked by that? I mean, we've all... been taught that, and we all say that, don't we? Things, things are just declining, and there's moral decline, and society is declining, and as a result, and things are getting worse, and, and uh, it seems like it's going to continue to get worse till Jesus comes. And yet, <clears throat> we can't help but be shocked when we read the headlines. But God is holy. He works all things according to the counsel of His own will. (laughs) And everything He does is right. It's pure. It's just. Because He's the Holy One. The Apostle John said it this way in the first chapter of 1 John. He is light. God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. The difficulty for Habakkuk Habakkuk and for us is that there are times when God uses the wickedness of men. And let me emphasize that. The evil, the wickedness, the perversion belongs to us. We're responsible for that. There are times that God uses the wickedness of men to fulfill His purpose. Like here. He says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans to bring judgment on the Israelites. And Habakkuk is thinking, how can that be? You are holy. But there's no compromise here of His holiness. In fact, uh, justice is being served. <clears throat> Keep this in mind when you, when you come across, and of course, uh, we come across them almost daily, but when you come across anything like that that is hard to rec- reconcile with the goodness and holiness Justice of God. The worst uh, atrocity that you can imagine, maybe. And I won't even give examples. I'm sure you can imagine some. But uh, whatever the worst thing is that you can imagine, or maybe you heard something on the news and you thought, well, that's the, that's, that's the worst thing I ever heard of. This may be a little difficult to swallow, but uh, I think true. Whatever it is that you, you may have heard or that you may have in mind pales in comparison to the crucifixion of the Son of God. What I'm saying is the worst atrocity that has ever been committed in the history of the world is the sinless Righteous Son of God, who was 
himself, God. was persecuted, beaten, ultimately put to death by wicked men. And it was God's will. It was God's will. That was the means by which God provided salvation for you and me. His own sinless Son be crucified, murdered in the worst atrocity ever committed. A crime of infinite degree because Jesus' righteousness is of infinite degree. And yet, it was God's will. God works all things according to the counsel of His own will to fulfill His purpose. So, the answer that God is giving Habakkuk here is, first of all, Habakkuk is saying, why aren't you doing something? And as we talked about last week, the Lord comes back and says, I am doing something. You're just not recognizing it because it's not what you think I ought to do. But I am doing something, and there is purpose in what's happening. Now, again, to me, <clears throat> that provides great comfort. If I read the headlines, and again, I, you know, I don't typically read the paper, but if I did uh, on a regular basis, or when I do, when I do read the headlines, and I see all these evil things, or I hear about them on the news, or I experience them, you know, the things go on in my own life, The thought that it was just totally by chance and that none of it has any purpose. Now, to me, uh, that is a reason to sink into despair. The truth that God is in control, working all things according to the counsel of His will, is not a reason to despair. It is a reason to take great comfort. And that's what Habakkuk is doing here. You are from everlasting. Lord, I've only been around 40-something years. I wasn't there when you laid the foundations of the earth. I wasn't there when you stretched out the heavens like a curtain. I wasn't there when you hung the stars and named every one of them. I wasn't there when the sons of God, the angels, sung and shouted for joy the sight of your works. You are, Lord. You're from everlasting. You're the only one who is. And you are Lord. You are sovereign. You are my Lord and my God. My sovereign God. I mean, if we're really honest about it, uh, when, you, when you say God, by definition, you're talking about someone Sovereign. <laughs> Two quotes here, real quick, and then I'm done. I don't want to pass these up. I missed them earlier, and I don't want to pass these up because they're too good. Um, concerning the sovereignty of God, Charles Spurgeon said, I believe that every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. What he's saying is God is that much in control. You go to the car wash, and, and uh, uh, I do go sometimes. You wouldn't tell it looking at my car. If you go to the car wash and you spray that car down, what Spurgeon is saying is every drop of water has its assigned appointed orbit just like the sun and the moon, or the, the uh, planets around the sun, rather. God's that much in control. And then, again, concerning God's sovereignty, he says, There's no halfway between an almighty God who works all things according to His good pleasure 
and no God at all. He's saying it's one or the other. You've either got a God who is totally, absolutely in control, or there's no God at all. There's really no in-between. God is eternal. He's the only one who is. He's the only self-existent being. God is sovereign. He works all things according to the counsel of His own will. He doesn't have to check with anybody. And as Daniel said, nobody can raise their fist at Him and say, What have you done? Successfully, anyway. People do that, but it doesn't get them anywhere. And He's holy. Everything He does is right and just. We won't always recognize that. There will be plenty of times, like there is, you know, plenty of times we will see things and we will say, I, I, I don't see how good can come out of this or how it can all work ultimately for the glory of God. But we can be assured of this. God is holy. Everything He does is right and pure. Habakkuk winds up in this verse by referring to him as a rock. O rock. That's an interesting name for God, isn't it? And it has a long history in the Old Testament. O rock, you have marked them for correction, meaning you're bringing the Chaldeans upon this land for judgment. That's, that's what I want you to leave here with today, God is our rock. He's a sure foundation. Everything else is changeable, movable, corruptible, perishable, but God is a rock. He's the rock. Unshakable, unchangeable, imperishable. He always has been, He is now, and He always will be. He's not moody. You don't have to worry about Him waking up in a bad mood tomorrow. He's a rock. He's a rock. All of this is good news for the believer, just like it was for Habakkuk. Trouble is here. Trouble is coming. (laughs) But you can take comfort in the character of God. His eternality, His sovereignty, His holiness. He's a rock to hold on to. Would you stand and we'll close with a word of prayer. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.